Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Meet the new Belmont High School principal by Joanna K. Zavallis. Belmont Public Schools Superintendent John Phelan announced February the 5th that Isaac Taylor has accepted the position of principal of Belmont High School. His work in the district will begin July the 1st. Taylor has been principal of North Middlesex Regional High School, which has 812 students in grades 9 through 12. His tenure at North Middlesex has involved coordinating the building of and moving into a new school. To help readers get to know him better, the Belmont Citizen Herald recently interviewed Taylor via email about his new position. How would you describe yourself and those who don't know you? I am, a ho- I am a thoughtful person and a good listener. I focus on the positive. My glass is always at least half full. What kind of a principal do you strive to be? I strive to create an environment where staff and students have the support and resources they need to do their best work. I give everyone the opportunity to be heard and taken seriously and foster a culture of belief and trust in people. What inspired you to get into this line of work? I love being a teacher and I have an impact and have an impact on the students I taught. When I took the decision to pursue a career in administration, it was because I wanted to be able to support teachers to provide a loving, challenging and supportive environment in every classroom. How would you say Belmont High is different or similar from North Middlesex Regional High School? Belmont has about 400 more students than North Middlesex, despite being a very small district geographically. North Middlesex spans about 80 square miles across three towns. Both communities have a lot of pride and respect for their schools, and I am really excited to be a Marauder. Do you know, uh, do you know of any grade 7 through 12 schools under one roof similar to the one Belmont will be, will be building, and if so, where? There are a number of schools that have adopted this model. For example, the Bromfield School in, in, in Harvard at Belmont, the two schools will have their own separate identity and expectations while at the same time sharing the fundamental Belmont ethos. What are you feeling about having a retail marijuana store located near a high school or any school? Whatever towns decide to do with marijuana dispensaries, it needs to be clear that drugs of any description have no place in our schools. This includes recreational marijuana, which should not be possessed or used under any circumstances by minors. Was vaping an issue at your high school, and how do you think it should be handled? In 2019, vaping is a concern at every high school in America. As with alcohol and drugs, vaping has no place 
in schools, and this is a message that must be reinforced now that vaping has been with us for a couple of years. Many schools are developing better strategies for tackling the epidemic, and I'm excited to find out more about the, uh, about the diversion program that Belmont has developed to support students who are struggling with nicotine addiction. It's scary to send your child off to school and wonder, will they be safe? How can we be assured our students will be safe in a new 7, by, uh, seven to 12 building? Student safety is my number one priority. I will work closely with the superintendent, the community, and the police to ensure that we will do everything we can to keep our students safe without creating an oppressive uh, atmosphere in the school. At NM, our new building is much more secure than the old school, and having looked at the building plans for the high school, I have no doubt that this will also be the case in Belmont. Belmont High has been an open campus. Do you think it should change now that it's becoming a 7 through 12 school? And if so, why? There are many advantages to having some form of an open campus for juniors and seniors in high school. For example, giving students the opportunity to practice time management and self-control. Open campuses also have their challenges with security and accountability. Any form of open campus in the new high school will need to be administered so as not to impact grades 7 through 10. What do you think your greatest challenges will be as Belmont High's new principal? My greatest and most exciting challenge will be to get to know the community of learners at Belmont High so that I can best support our school through the changes and challenges of the coming months and years. I plan on doing a lot of listening in my first few months as the principal. What are you looking forward to most about your new role in Belmont? My passion is supporting excellent instruction and learning. I am excited about what I will learn about great teaching at Belmont High, and I look forward to leveraging my experience to further support Belmont as a community of lifelong learners. What attracted you to this position? Belmont is the only school that I applied to this year, and I did so because this role offers such an exciting challenge to such an amazing community. I feel truly blessed to have been offered this role. What else do you plan to do to prepare yourself for your new role on July the 1st? Right now, it seems like a long time until I started Belmont, but this gives me time to ensure that I complete work on a number of critical projects at North Middlesex and finish the year strong. Over the coming months, I am looking forward to learning as much as I can about the students, staff, and parents behind Belmont's phenomenal reputation. And now over to my colleague, Claire. Thanks, Bob. Wasted time on Warren's backlog in Massachusetts, part one. Um, this is by Eli Sherman of Wicked Local and Doug Caruso and Mike Wagner of the Columbus Dispatch. Brian Vincent woke up one morning to a police officer knocking on his door. They said, we have a warrant for your arrest, said Vincent, owner of Vincent's Country Store in Westminster. The warrant was issued because Vincent failed to renew his dog license, a $25 fee. He spent two days in court, first explaining he never checked the mailbox. 
The second was spent showing he had renewed his license. I understand I was in the wrong, but I didn't think that if you don't renew a dog license, you could be heading to jail to await a judge like you robbed the 7-Eleven, Vincent said. Thousands of Americans are a traffic stop away from being jailed for crimes as minor as not paying a traffic ticket, according to an investigation of arrest warrants by Wicked Local and the Columbus Dispatch. Vincent had the means to pay his dog's license renewal plus a late fee, and he avoided jail because he was able to sort the issue out quickly. But the same can't be said for many Americans. Data collected by the Columbus Dispatch shows warrants in Ohio are thickest in the poorest neighborhoods and disproportionately affect racial and ethnic minorities. The executive office of the Mass Trial Courts denied a request for information showing offenses and biographic information, making it impossible to break down the more than 390,000 outstanding warrants in Massachusetts by geography. Through interviews with local and regional law enforcement, along with lawyers, judges, and court officials, anecdotal evidence suggests the dynamic plays out in Massachusetts. The Dispatch and Gatehouse Media contacted officials in all 50 states, but did not receive data from the other 23. It's a very serious problem, and it's happening more or less in every state in the country, every county, and every city said Matt Menendez, an attorney of the Brendan, Brennan Center for Justice, a nonpartisan public policy and law institute at New York University School of Law. If this were impacting white middle-class suburbs, you would see quicker results and reforms. Clearing the decks. Prior efforts in Massachusetts to erase old minor warrants have made little difference as thousands of new warrants pile up annually. In 1996, the state switched to an electronic-based system known as WMS. The state became the first to create a statewide 24-hour real-time warrant database. In the years after the WMS launched, the number of open warrants increased, arguably because the tracking system improved. By 1999, the backlog of open warrants was growing by more than 5,000 monthly. Today, there are still 23,224 unserved warrants from 1999, for example, according to data released on August 20, 2018, by the trial court. In response, the Massachusetts Senate Committee on Post Audit and Oversight released a report in 1999. The authors, led by then-Senator Cheryl A. Jack, slammed the efficacy of the MWS, writing, A database is only as good as the information in it and the way that information is used. The following year, the number of open warrants accumulating each year started to lessen, decreasing to 9,117 in 2011. Since then, the trend has reversed, and the number of open warrants from 2014 totaled 11,469. In 2017, it totaled 19,315. Police departments periodically put together warrant sweeps, rounding up known offenders. 
but it's challenging to maintain considering how many warrants are issued each day. There are some special units, including the Massachusetts State Police Violent Fugitive Apprehension Section, focused on tracking down fugitives. But it's unclear how much the state unit is contributing to the effort because state police did not respond to multiple requests for comment. It's an incredible backlog in the courts. You wonder how many of these people have passed on, said Robert Harney, former Norfolk Special Sheriff. Harney, former president of the Mass Bar Association, said the backlog indicates defendants are not taking the court system seriously, a concern raised two decades ago by lawmakers. This high percentage of default warrants indicates widespread disrespect for the court system, wrote authors of the 1999 report. When somebody does not show up for a court date, the default warrant is issued, but the wanted person is not notified, and often the warrant is never executed. The message sent to scofflaws is that there are no real consequences for disregarding the Commonwealth's courts. Now, over to Bob. Thank you, Claire. Wicked Local interviewed prosecutors, judges, and law enforcement from across the state, and nearly everyone echoed the same idea. The ever-mounting backlog of warrants isn't entirely the responsibility of their arm of justice. Nearly everyone agreed it would take defendants, cops, courts, and lawmakers, along with an influx of capital, to reverse the trend. If you want government to do something, you have to fund it, said retired Boston judge Raymond O'Dugan. One can rail about poor public transportation, bad schools, or not enough drug rehabilitation centers, but if the public wants these matters to be addressed, it has to be willing to fund the action. Prior to an interview with Wicked Local, Norfolk District Attorney Michael W. Morrissey floated the idea of a warrant amnesty program. The program could theoretically look like a tax amnesty program, providing an incentive for, for offenders to come in and deal with outstanding issues. The idea has been met with some interest, Morrissey said, though he underscored it could only work for minor offenses. There are some people out there with serious warrants, and they're not getting amnesty, he said. The Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles has also played a part in trying to address outstanding warrants, although that is changing. Until 2018, an arrest or default warrant would trigger a license suspension, but the Criminal Justice Reform Act removed that part of the law. Other states are also working toward solutions, especially for minor offenses. New York City and Philadelphia made certain minor offenses off-limits for arrest by designating misdeeds such as having an open container of alcohol or creating loud noise from criminal to civil infractions carrying a fine. In 2016, San Francisco launched its Financial Justice Pro Project, working with judges and other officials to adjust fines based on income and eliminating driver's license suspension. And now to my colleague, Bob. Thank you. You're welcome. Three vie for a selectman seat by Joanna K. Zavallis. As the clock ticked closer to the February 12th deadline to file nomination papers for the April 2nd town election, 
more and more candidates poured into the town clerk's office, including candidates for the one three-year selectman seat, two three-year school committee seats, and one five-year housing authority seat. Timothy Flood filed his nomination papers for the Board of Selectmen seat on February the 12th. He has lived in Belmont for eight years with his seventh grade daughter, Victoria, and partner, Casey. He has served on the Chenery PTO for the past few years. Flood graduated Arlington High School and became a United States Marine, serving in Iraq and in Afghanistan from 1998 to 2004. He also worked in uh, federal law enforcement with the Department of Defense Police in Natick. Most recently, he started his own business, East Coast Chip Keys, located at 458 Trapello Road in Belmont. Flood believes Belmont has lacked neutrality in key positions and said he brings that. I'm not tied to any one political thing in town. I think that gives me an advantage to understanding the community's outlook on all the items that they want to bring forward because I don't have a bias one way or another, so I get to hear both sides and be a true neutral party where I don't think I've had that for quite some time. He said uh, he would like to see more information providing residents when issues such as an issue of being a district member of the, middle, uh, the Minuteman Regional High School. He is also concerned about the community path route and providing a tax abatement for senior residents. Flood said people have encouraged him to run because he is known for listening to concerns and looking for solutions. As a general rule, he said he always tries to have some sort of solution to a problem before bringing it forward. I think having the lines of communication open, especially in a small town like this, is super important, he said. Uh, he thinks a lot of smart people in Belmont are afraid to bring their ideas and concerns forward because they don't feel welcome. The two, uh, to the two other candidates running for selectmen are Jesse Bennett and Roy Epstein. And now over to Claire. Thanks, Bob. Belmont to host community workshop. Belmont will host a community workshop from 3 to 5.30 p.m. April 28th at the Beach Street Center, 266 Beach Street in Belmont. The workshop will explore new ways of working together to build a community. Robert Putnam, author of Bowling Alone and Better Together, Restoring the American Community, will kick off the event. There are great programs happening in our library, community organizations, religious institutions, and schools, said co-organizers Marsha Samuels and Mary Power. How can we build upon all we have done well and pool our strengths as the town looks to the future? Spearheaded by the Belmont Library Foundation and co-sponsored by an array of groups, including the Board of Selectmen, Belmont Public Schools, and more than 20 town organizations, the workshop welcomes all citizens to join in the conversation. Town moderator, Mike Widmer, will guide the discussion. I'm proud of the extraordinary level of community engagement in Belmont, said Adam Dash, chair of the Board of Selectmen. This workshop will bring many groups together to brainstorm how we can make our community even stronger 
by forging connections and working together. Communication and cooperation are the key to a cohesive community, and this event will foster both. This event is free and open to the public. Pre-registration is encouraged and can be completed at website https bitly 2 gvunv 2 For information, contact event organizers Marsha Samuels at msemuels at belmontlibraryfoundation.org or Mary Power at M Power at Belmont Library Foundation.org. Over to Bob now. Thank you, Claire. Lyons honored for dedication to town. Coach Paul Lyons, who created town's youth basketball program, had name added to Wenner Fields House by Lexi Peary at BelmontWickedLocal.com. In honor of Paul Lyons' dedication to Belmont basketball, the former head coach, creator of the Belmont Youth Basketball Association and Marauders Association, had his name added to the Winterfield House at Belmont High School. Former players, neighbors, friends, and current students filled the stands February, Friday, February 8th, Friday, during the official ceremony, which Lyons said, was heartwarming to see. During the ceremony, Lyons thanked a host of people who worked with him throughout the years to build up the basketball program in Belmont. He mentioned a quote he has tried to instill in his players throughout the years. Success is not a destination. It's a journey that you take along the way, Lyons said to the crowd. It's more important what you did than what the outcome was. Lyons' guidance and coaching throughout the years is what led Ralph Jones to recommend the school committee honor him. Jones worked with Lyons in the early years of the programs and said he found he set a strong moral example for the community. You often see coaches flying off the handle and yelling at referees and really not setting a good example for their players. And Paul was not like that, Jones said. Paul was very restrained and very professional when it came to dealing with the referees. And I think that was important for setting the moral tone. Former player and current men's basketball coach Adam Pritchard joined the BYBA the second year it was around and has been working with Lions ever since. From BYBA to player to coaching with him to taking his spot as head coach, Pritchard said Lyons has been instrumental in his basketball opportunities. Speaking after the 71-53 win against Reading High School, Pritchard said he was proud to see Lyons, former teammates and friends, fill the stands for the ceremony and game. This was a big chance to honor somebody who has given so much to a school and a program and set such a high example in such a positive way, Pritchard said. Coach Lyons never used foul language. He always challenged his players. He would constantly teach them, and instead of demeaning them, he tried to raise them up. He's really an example on how to live and not just how to be a basketball coach. Basketball has always been an important fixture in Lyons' life. 
He started the BYBA in 1977 after moving to Belmont. Prior to coming to Belmont, he'd been involved with numerous collegiate and high school programs. Lyons spent his college years playing for Boston College and was part of a team that went to the NCAA tournament. The BYBA started out as a letter Lyons wrote to the newspaper calling for a youth basketball program. After the letter was published, a few residents met to discuss the formation of the association and from the get-go, there were more than 300 students playing basketball with Lions. When Lions retired from coaching at Belmont High School in 2000, he left with 335 wins and one state championship under his belt. However, in creating the BYBA, Lions simultaneously built the men's and women's programs in the town. Today, two programs remain competitive. Even though women's basketball wasn't as big as the men's program was when he first started BYBA, Lions created the program for both men and women, Jones said. That's Lions' lasting legacy. And now to my colleague, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Students uh, compete in Soapbox Derby race. Belmont students on the Chenery Soapbox Derby team <laughs> recently competed in the Cambridge Soapbox Derby Rally Race on February the 2nd. The team currently has nine cars, four that were from last year and five purchased this year. Four were, four were purchased from a, a grant provided by the Belmont Savings Bank. One was purchased uh, from Chenery Middle School. Other tools and materials are purchased by Chenery Student Council. The team is looking for an additional sponsors or donors to help support the after-school program. The team plans to get a booth at uh, Town Day to showcase the cars to the community. The paint job on all the cars was provided for free uh, from Auto Engineering Body Works in Belmont. Members of the Channery School Box uh, of the Channery uh, Soapbox Derby team, uh, fifth graders. Uh, uh, Iggy D and Andrew G, 6th grader Josh H, 7th grader Mark S, Oliver S, Sarah S, Art Yom and Nadia H, and 8th grader Eamon K. The team has three upcoming races and plan to race in more events. Upcoming Soapbox Derby races for Belmont team are March 16th at the Cambridge Side Mall, April in Waltham and on June the 1st in Arlington. And now over to Claire. Thanks, Bob. A Local Love Story, How a Belmont Couple Met by Martha Jacovides. The Belmont Citizen Herald asked readers to share their love stories for our Valentine's Day edition. We chose to spotlight this contribution from Belmont resident Martha Jacovides, a retired editor and journalist. It's about how she met her husband. As I walked down the hall in the Harlem Junior High School where I was newly teaching English in 1959, I was following a young teacher of history. That is the man I'm going to marry, flashed into my head. Where did that come from? I had never been prescient in my life. Nevertheless, I went home to plot how to get his attention. As a Massachusetts native, 
I was supportive of our Senator John F. Kennedy, who was now starting his run for president with a primary in West Virginia and not given much of a chance. Back in the teacher's break room, I confronted the object of my desire. Quote, Kennedy is going to win next week, I said. No, I continued. You don't think so? I'll bet you that he does. If I win, I will cook dinner for you in my apartment. If you win, you will buy me dinner. Goal accomplished. JFK won. We will be married 58 years on April 14th. When my husband reads this, he may only now know what hit him. (laughs) (laughs) Now over to Bob. Belmont Women's Club completes restoration project. The Belmont Women's Club recently announced that it has completed a restoration project at the 1853 W.F. Homer House. The cupola that sits atop the house has been repaired and repainted thanks to a Community Preservation Act grant. We are thrilled that this project is now complete and that the public can enjoy the full beauty of the Homer House, said Women's Club co-president Wendy Murphy. The cupola was in serious disrepair and needed a new roof, new painting, carpentry work, and a new finial. I think I love the finial most of all, said co-president Katrina Ralston, and has just the right amount of spark and grandeur. The Women's Club purchased the Homer House in 1927 to save it from destruction. A developer had plans to tear the house down and build seven house lots on the land. The club has volunteered to preserve the house ever since. A 501c3 charity, the Belmont's Women's Club, is an all-volunteer organization of men and women that relies on membership fees and donations to cover repairs and expenses to maintain the property. We desperately needed to repair the cupola, but had no hope of being able to afford it without the CPA grant, said Murphy. We are so grateful to the town for approving the funds and the historical society, which made sure we did everything right. We were very lucky to work with architect Gary Wolf and Marshall White, our contractor. And the people who helped us from Town Hall could not have been more supportive and helpful throughout the process. The results are fabulous. The cupola is alive and bright, and the colors are gorgeous. And back to Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Bob, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.